G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day, everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the uh, combined round 15 and 16 review and part round 16 preview. Should be getting used to that sort of complicated uh, schedule now, but uh, a very incident-packed weekend some dramatic finishes and some very important results in terms of the finals now just around the corner. So uh, getting very much towards the pointy end of the season. As I say, very good evening to my co-host, Mark Fine. How are you going, Fine? Hey, I'm well, Rowan. Um, 15, 16, and we're almost at round 17, the big one. Yeah, well, some, uh, in terms of the ladder, some uh, fairly important results. Number least, the last one uh, of the weekend, which we will get to in due course. But uh, pretty much, uh, how many teams do we think still have legitimate finals chances? Uh, definitely only two, possibly only one. Outside the eight? Yes. Well, Melbourne, technically... Melbourne's got a good percentage, 108, but I don't think they're playing well enough. Yeah, I think it's down to a race in nine. That makes sense to me. Yes, well, a certain team from the northern suburbs certainly uh, bound out, uh, bowed out in very unflattering style today. So uh, jockeying for positions, all that matters now. I'll tell you what, you have to, uh, in the good old days when you could actually go out and go to uh, eating establishments, Plenty of jockeying for positions at Melbourne's best hamburger joint, finally. Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Solid, consistent, brilliant performers. Over a lazy 81 years, if you do not mind, hamburger umpire. Proper burgers, great service, and they have been fated all the way across the world, known as consistently the best burgers in the country. What more can you say, Andrew's hamburgers? All the components of a premiership hamburger and uh, premiership home renovations, Finey, where are they won? The Nick Spartels is the principal of West Point Properties. It's got a very much a football flavour. He loves his football. And I'll tell you what, if you get a home property rebuild or remodel by Nick Spartel, we'll get ready to talk footy. He's a blues man, but he's got saints, ex-magpies, build houses for captains. You'll be talking football with Nick Spartel of West Point Properties, and you'll have a beautiful house to boot. Nick, one of his major clients might not be that interested in talking football for a couple of days, um, but we'll get around to that game uh, later. So a very busy schedule, plenty of games to review and preview. Let's do it. On Footyology... Wrap around. Round 15, uh, the first of a Thursday double header happened up in Cairns. Feels like a long time ago now, but it was an important result. 
and potentially a very costly result for Melbourne, one of those finals contenders we spoke of, because they lowered their colours by 21 points against a very impressive, young and enthusiastic Sydney lineup. The final scores, 10-7-67 the Swans to the Demons, 6-10-46. The goal kickers for the Swans, two to McInerney, very impressive performance from him, two to Luke Parker, singles to Rowbottom, Wicks, McLean, Hayward, Taylor and Clark. For the Demons, all singles, Brayshaw, Spargo, Neil Bullen, Harms, May and Brown. Well, the um, wasn't necessarily reflected on the scoreboard early on, but even in the first quarter, and in fact, the Swans trailed at quarter time, I thought even at that stage, they had played very much the superior football. And the decisive quarter in this game, definitely the second when they banged on five goals to half of their total score, just about to the Demons solitary behind. So just about a five-goal lead at halftime. And Melbourne didn't really seriously threaten that. Only one goal to them in the third term. Three goals each in the last. And uh, a really good win for the Swans. And for a side that's been beset by injuries most of the year to some really important players, number least Buddy Franklin, they are emerging um, from the back end of this season with plenty of honour and plenty of promise too, Finey. The senior men all stood up. Parker, Kennedy, Lloyd, particularly good. But I really, really like the game of McInerney. He's got plenty of pace and um, plenty of willingness. So I thought Nick Blakey playing in the midfield was good for him. My boy, Robottom, uh, he's becoming a key player for them, I think. And um, there's good signs for the future for the Swans all over the place. Nonetheless, the style of footy they play too. I, I, this is a far cry from the, you know, the boring old uh, clearance stoppage based Sydney team we've been so familiar with over the years. They like to run. They've got plenty of players in that younger brigade who can run. And uh, I thought in the end, that was pretty decisive advantage over the Demons. They had too much uh, leg speed, too much run, too much zest, you name it. They had too much of it for a very disappointing Melbourne. Yeah, Melbourne are limited, aren't they, Rowan? When you consider that with over St Kilda was good, but Petrarca kicked four goals and you can't expect a midfielder who goes forward a bit to be kicking more than half your goals every week, can you? Uh, it's a heavy reliance and that wasn't going to happen again. Wiedemann's had a good season, but he got well and truly beaten. I'll tell you what, in the last 25 years, 20 years... 25 years, quarter of a century, there's been very little downtime in terms of either finals, grand finals, or optimistic future for Swans fans. It's all been very encouraging for them because they've really gone from a side without Franklin, with Reed problematic, uh, that could have been in a bit of a, you know, a downward spiral, to having a real promising future. Remember, there's no Isaac Heaney. Now, I know Franklin's important, but Heaney's the future, and he's missed most of this season. Kennedy has just come back. Hewitt, he's missed a lot of the season. I think Naismith probably is a bit of a, a doomed footballer, unfortunately, but they've had a lot of players out, not just Franklin. And... I think they've developed some players. Florent is a is now a more regular performer. I like him. Uh, 
the harness racing horse, my boy Rowbottom. I'll look for him in the form guide. Um, I'm starting to like my boy Rowbottom, even though he's your boy Rowbottom. Didn't he play some tenacious football just when Melbourne were having a little sniff towards the end of the game? Didn't he put his mind to showing which team had more application? He's a goer, no question. Uh, his usage is even getting better. Uh, McInerney was great. The big kid they put up forward, what's his name? Another Mac. Um, McLean. He trained to St Kilda. Um, he, he put in a shift. I just think if you're a Sydney supporter, you'd be proud. I'll tell you what, <laughs> my team won this week. I'm not proud. Sydney won this week. They should be bloody proud. Yeah, they should. Uh, quick word on Melbourne, who are a game behind the Western Bulldogs in ninth spot, but with the game in hand. Now, the Demons have got uh, Fremantle up next, then GWS, then Essendon. Now, you'd certainly you'd tip them to win two of them, but basically... Oh, gee, it's, Would you? I'll oh, tip Essendon. You'd tip Essendon against Melbourne. Melbourne are in this horrible situation where even though there's still a chance for the eight, you know they've made seven changes again for the next game. That, that Every second week, they drop the same four or five players. That must be a bad way to play your footy. You know, the likes of Harms and Spargo, they, they just can't put together a satisfactory 22. And, and they're playing revolving doors, you know, with about 27 players. It's a horrible situation to be in. So you've got them missing out. Um, I wouldn't be tipping Essendon against Barnawatha at the moment, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> uh, hey, after half time, I would. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, we'll get on to that uh, car crash. But uh, yeah, I, I think I've got the Demons missing out as well. Still, um, well, not still. That could prove uh, this defeat in a game they're expected to win could prove the, the straw that breaks the camel's back. All right, that is the first of the two games that were played last Thursday. Let's talk about the second. So from Cairns, we went to Metricon Stadium, GWS, taking on Carlton. Uh, this was officially pretty much the end of the Blues finals hopes, but, gee, only late because GWS got uh, some sort of scare from the Blues who led at the final change by 15 points, having held the Giants to only two goals. Uh, GWS's talent winning out in the last term, fortunately for them, with four goals to just one behind in that final quarter. They ran out winners by only nine points. Six goals, 12-48, defeating the Blues, 5-9-39. But again, one of those Giants wins you'd look at and think, eh, don't think uh, this side's going to be progressing too far in final. So we did make that mistake last year. For the victors, Riccardi got two singles to Green, Finlayson, Perryman and Hill. For the Blues, all singles, Martin, Dow, Walsh, Mackay and Murphy. And it was the Blues who started this game off much the better, Finey. Four goals to one. How do you see the progression thereafter? Um, like a fairy tale. It actually was a fairy tale, wasn't it? So it was the fairy tale of Jack and the Beanstalk because Jack Martin set the excellent tone for the game by a brilliant rundown tackle of Lockie Whitfield. First goal of the game. 
And then for much of the next three or two and a half quarters, it was the beanstalk, Harry Mackay, who was the most likely forward on the ground to kick a goal because he had a lot of shots. But like some forwards in this competition, Rowan, his goal-kicking ability let him down in terms of accuracy. And you know what happened to Jack in the Beanstalk, don't you, Rowan? Oh, it's been a you while. It's been a while. They, um, tried to, they tried to rob the giant. You see, Jack climbed the Beanstalk to rob the giant that was asleep. But eventually, the giant woke from his slumber and almost, in this case, well, he circumvented the robbery and he smited the Beanstalk and Jack and his teammates and the Giants just woke up in time, I'll tell you. Because, I'll tell you, if they slept for much longer, they would have had the loss that could have cost them the final spot. And I guess for them, the goose that's laying the golden eggs is the unlikely Jake Riccardi. His effort in the last quarter took him from a player you couldn't consider being in the sixth best on the ground at GWS to write in the sixth best on the ground because he, he turned the game, not just his two goals, um, but also his steady, steady head towards the end of the game. You, you can't believe he's played three games. Jeremy Cameron's not engaged. Luckily, Riccardi is. I don't know the future for the Giants because they are so wildly unpredictable and their form varies so much. But... We do know that there is talent there that can get into the finals and even cause havoc for a week. Now, uh, if, if we were playing this nursery rhyme analogy out, no doubt the giant would be played by Shane Mumford, um, which would uh, at least give him some sort of meaningful role in proceedings because I'm not sure he's fulfilling one on the field for them at the moment. Um, I think one thing that struck me about the Giants last quarter was that it was almost like uh, it was almost the way they played was almost in desperation. It was like, you know, this careful movement of the footy and possession footy isn't getting us anywhere. Bugger it. Let's just get the thing and kick it forward. And I think that really helped someone like Riccardi just get a little bit more space on his opponent with quicker delivery. Um you know, it's a, it's a pretty good uh, game plan that uh, they should try it a bit more often. Might actually kick a few more goals. But I thought that was uh, Rowan, pretty... Because you're spot on. Because it was a change of game plan. Now, was it at the start of last year where the AFL sort of unusually changed the rules on um, messages from the runner, limiting yeah. the yeah. ability for the runner to get on the ground? They need to review that, Rowan, because... As we see, the game at the moment, we are having quarters that are turgid stalemates with no goals or one goal or, you know, they really are quite horrible. And it wasn't until three-quarter time that Leon Cameron could impress upon his team that we need to choose a different method of play. They've got to let the runners back on the ground because maybe 10 minutes into the third quarter, he wanted to send that message. If that message is being denied, it's to the detriment of football. Well, either that or you actually uh, get players to actually uh, learn how to read the state of the game and implement some changes themselves. Um, and I think oh, they're pretty if, robotic. I, th I think if uh, this season's underlined something, it's uh, there's an awful lot of players in footy that don't seem to have much uh, game sense. 
these days, which isn't necessarily a great discovery. So, look, I, I don't have much doubt they've got the talent. Um, are they capable of turning it on for sufficiently long enough periods and have sides worked out how to stymie that talent? But in this case, I thought they were almost their own worst enemy. I mean, two eleven to three-quarter time as well. It's not like they were short of opportunities, but uh, as we've seen so often this season, uh, in lower-scoring games, you just can't afford not to... Um, not to make the most of your opportunities. Anyway, they got the win in the finish. Uh, they are currently sitting in seventh place. Uh, the Bulldogs equal on points, but having played one extra game, so their destiny very much in their own hands. Um, I think they're going to make it. In fact, I more I look at this eight, uh, the more I think they'll make it, and it will be the Doggies, unfortunately, who might just miss out. Um, quick word on the Blues before we wrap this one up. I think it's been a positive season for them. They're, some of their fans might be a bit more frustrated by that. I Actually, I saw an interesting stat uh, today, which was that since David T took over as coach, they're tracking about exactly the same this season in percentage terms um, and win terms, uh, ratio terms, as they did last season. So you might look at that and think, oh, have they improved enough? But I think there's sufficient pluses there. Number least, Jack Martin, who's proved a really good pickup for them, I think. Yeah, just, you know, if the Giants make it, the team that misses out is St Kilda. Because that means, I, I think West Coast will beat St Kilda. GWS, if they make it, need to beat St Kilda. And the Bulldogs will not lose their last two games. They play Hawthorne and Freo. Uh, yeah, okay, that's a good point. That is a good point. Uh, all and right. Just on Carlton, yeah. on Carlton, if you subscribe as I do to once you cross the white line, you're fit to play football, then, you know, we've got a real sort of sad drop off of form and relevance of Patrick Cripps. I mean, he's one of the champs of the comp, but he's not playing anywhere near like a champ. Uh, no, he's not at the moment. Uh, he's, it's certainly been, well, probably his in output terms, his quietest season yet. Um, but, you know, uh, he's he's worn a fair bit of punishment in his still relatively short career. So uh, I wouldn't be too worried about his long-term future. And um, perhaps as he gets a bit, more, a bit more support, the uh, burden in terms of responsibility be relieved a little bit. All right, we're going to move on. Um, that was Thursday. Let's turn our attention to Friday. Well, this one was probably the game of the round. And it's certainly very important for two teams, uh, both in the top eight. It was low scoring. Uh, it was a pretty dour struggle at times, but uh, I thought still pretty gripping as a contest in the context of the season we've had. And it was Brisbane who prevailed over Collingwood in the end. Six goals, 6-42, defeating the Pies, 5-4-34. I guess it's a bit of a comment on this season that the Lions were still able to win despite kicking only one goal in the entire second half. Speaking of goals, two goals to Eric Hipwood, singles to Berry, Lions, McLuggage and Rayner. For the Magpies, two goals to Cox, Singles to Brown, Elliot, Myacek. Um, again, 
uh, a game probably in scoreboard terms secured in one very strong quarter of footy uh, played by the Lions. That was the second term when they added 5-1 to uh, one goal for the Pies. But that gave them in a low-scoring scrap 18 points at halftime was a pretty handy lead. And uh, the Pies weren't able to bridge that gap. In fact, I thought Brisbane's defence was pretty good. The Pies forward set up, not great. We did speak about this on um, footyology final siren and of course some major ramifications injury wise out of this game uh, Phillips for Collingwood hamstring, uh, that's not to be underestimated uh, particularly given the absence at the moment of both Trelaw and Sidebottom but uh, of even more consequence I think for Brisbane the loss of Harris Andrews and the news today uh, about as bad as you can get really in terms of a hamstring, he is expected to miss six weeks so uh, if you count that forward that means he will not be available for the Lions until at, at soonest the preliminary final should they advance that far I think a lot of people look at that injury and say Brisbane now can't win the flag are you of that view Finey? Yep yeah he is even the moment he left the field their ability to move the ball from the back line into the forward line was severely impacted upon. We know that Ryan Garden is a great, you know, a, bat, a good contested opponent, but he's not a set-up player or an intercept mark. Darcy, same with Darcy Ryan Lester. Darcy Gardner, sorry. Darcy Gardner. Um, uh, same with Ryan Lester. Very competitive. Um, but, boy, they, they profit so much of his attacking defensive play. He's a true in the mould of Rance, in the mould of Scarlet, in the mould going back to David Dench and all those great fullbacks that took the game on to mark the ball and set their team in motion, he's a vital player. And boy, oh boy, what a, what a cruel loss that is because uh, I would almost handpick him as the worst player to lose. Yes, even ahead of Lockie Neal. Seriously, he's that important. That being said, um, there's so much to play for for them. They'll finish in the top four. It's a Gabba grand final. He will be there on grand final day, most likely, if they can summons the results. Um, they're just all going to have to pick up the slack, aren't they? And I think there's a few players that can lift on current form. So there's some room for improvement. Charlie Cameron would be at the head of that queue. We know how damaging he can be. Uh, the good news for them is that Jared Berry has taken the next step as a footballer. So they can really count on him as being a, a top-notch midfielder and a goal-kicking half-forward flanker when he moves forward. I think Raymer really needs the lift since he's come back from a short break with a hammy injury. He's been disappointing. So they can get a lift there. there. There's certainly room for improvement. McCarthy comes back next week after a one-game suspension, I think. Um, so there's some scope, but yeah, it's a big loss. And as for Collingwood, they've been playing a numbers game now for... Two or three years, you feel that they've always had just three or four players now, five or six maybe away from their best 22. And it's a numbers game that won't stop them making the eight, but it'll stop them winning a flag, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I, I don't think they can win it. Uh, certainly not without, um, yeah, not without Trelaw and Sidebottom as part of the deal. But I think they're also there forward set up. I mean, you look back to 2018. And they really 
got away without having a dominant key forward, although my check was was pretty solid for them. But what they did have was an army of, of medium-sized goal kickers who were all in pretty decent form at the right time, like Stevenson um, and like Hoskin Elliott. And uh, they don't have the luxury of that this time. I think it's a real issue for them. I mean, Dacos is emerging, uh, but he's sort of looking as much a midfielder as a, a goal-kicking forward for them. So, um, yeah, look, I mean, they, they can never be written I mean, off. The goal is the goal, is isn't it? Dugowie's De- what, without, sorry? Without, without Dugowie, that forward line's pretty pedestrian. Yeah, well, uh, my understanding is he he won't be back this season, nor will Jeremy Howe. So, um, you know, look, they did this in 2018. They soldiered on without some key players. But uh, can they do it from the, the bottom half of the eight? Uh, I don't think so. Just in terms of Brisbane... Um, their run home is Gold Coast, Sydney and Carlton. So they'll certainly start favourite in all three of those games. Um, they've also got a game in hand over both teams ahead of them on the ladder, Port Adelaide and Geelong. So they're actually a pretty decent chance um, if Port stumble or in one of their last two games, pretty decent chance of finishing on top. Uh, so hosting rights and a double chance would be a pretty handy deal, but um, they might need that. And uh, hopefully still they would, uh, they have Harris Andrews at uh, exactly the right time of the season. Um, So a good game. I thought it was uh, certainly decent Friday night fair. We were overdue for one of them. That's for sure. All right. That is Thursday and Friday. Let's talk about what was a pretty vacant Saturday. Well, what did everyone do on Saturday? Go and do some gardening or catch up on some old movies. Uh, Certainly wasn't a lot of AFL footy to watch during the day at least, though there was one game on a Saturday evening. Not the most appetising fair, if truth be told, and not the most attractive game as it transpired with a fairly predictable scoreline. It was Port Adelaide taking on North Melbourne at Metricon Stadium. And uh, as the entire football universe would have tipped, it was Port Adelaide running out victors by, in the end, 36 points, 11 goals, 12, 78, defeating the Roos, 6-6-42. The goals for the power, two to Dixon. Jeez, uh, he doesn't mind lathering himself up in oil, Charlie Dixon. I thought someone had tipped a whole bottle of Crisco over his head when they ran out in the ground. Two to Ollie Wines, singles to Motlop, Butters, Eamon, Gray and Rosie and Boke and Pal Pepper. In fact, that is uh, ten in, uh, nine individual goal kickers. And for the Roos, Goldstein, Zerha, Waki, Hall and Walker. It was another win set up early, four goals to one in the first term. Uh, But Port really rammed home the advantage in the third quarter when they kicked 6-3 to the Roos, 2-2. All pretty much academic after that. And uh, last quarter, bit of a non-event. Some consequences out of this for the power. Uh, Young Zach, everyone knows it's Butters, missing the next two games for a ill-timed bump on Jai Simpkin, which left the young Roo pretty 
uh, pretty wonky, it's fair to say. Um, so he will miss the next couple. Uh, aside from that, though, pretty good night for the Power Finey with uh, some of their best known and most experienced players really standing up. Number least, Travis Boke and Ollie Wines. Um, Scott Lysette presenting his credentials for a ruck berth in that premiership tilt. Uh, Darcy Byrne-Jones as good as ever. And Pal Pepper, who's having a really good season, I reckon. Uh, he was pretty impressive as well for the Roos. Uh, Davies Uniac continuing to be, uh, as of late, the uh, perhaps the brightest shining light for the Roos, who's been just getting a little bit better with every game. Terence stood up well. Anderson, not bad. Uh, Mackay, yeah, showed a bit. Higgins, McDonald. But uh, fair to say, as far as the Roos are concerned, end of a season probably can't come soon enough. It was a, sort of a good... Good news story for the hyphens. Of course, the week started terribly for hyphenated footballers with the Richmond catastrophe. But when you consider that Powell Pepper, Darcy Byrne and Davis Uniaki all had good games, it was a worthwhile comeback by hyphenated names, double barrels or whatever you want to call them. I can't get much else out of the game. Good to see Dersma play some good footy after getting dropped. He's responded well. Um, I can't believe it's not butter will be what Port supporters are saying for a fortnight. Well, actually, two games is now about three, three and a half hours apart. So you don't say two weeks, it's just two games. He, strange thing happened with Simpkin because he knocked him and then Simpkin went off the ground, but he didn't go down the race for a test. The doctor looked at the video of how it happened and ruled him out of the game on the footage. That's an yeah. interesting way of doing a medical appraisal, isn't it? Well, it was a very... Uh, I'm, not, I'm not for a moment saying he was hamming it up, but it was a very dramatic fashion in which he hit the turf. Yeah, it was. It was dramatic. And I would say that without... I don't know. Can you make an assessment just off a of video? You can, I guess you can tell the sex of a baby. A lot of leaps, a lot of steps ahead for the medical world just looking at a TV screen. Um, Port were pretty good. Now, people who think that Lockie Neal is an absolute cert for the Brownlow, think again. Why can't both win it, Rowan? Uh, no reason at all. No, I think that's a that's a very astute observation. He's he's been sensational. I guess you know. Um, well, same with Neil. I mean, they'll probably have other players taking votes from them, but um, in the modern era, that hasn't often been an impediment to players from successful teams winning it. Um, Ollie Wines, you can talk about his mother for a minute if you want, and then we'll get back to how well he played. A big hello to Jane Wines and the Wines family, and uh, Jane would have been very, very pleased with her son's form. Uh, he's he's back to pretty close to his best, yeah. I reckon, and that is that, crucial for him. exactly right. Back to his best. Okay, that's enough. I've, I've spoken enough about Ollie Wines. Off you go. No, I'm saying he's back to his best. That's and that's pretty good. His best, by the by the way, uh, North Melbourne. Bring on the end of the season. Bring on whatever list changes you're going to make, because you know you're not going to you're not really firing many shots at the present time. And when you have one game of football for the weekend, uh, for the day, for Saturday, the old traditional footy day, you know, you're probably 
wanted a better one than that, but that's just how it panned out. You know what, Rowan? One thing I have noted is this. This has been a period where you would have hoped that southeastern Queensland, not a stronghold for AFL, with so many games at, at Metricon and Brisbane, really being the centre of the football universe, it was a great opportunity for the game to grow in leaps and bounds, wasn't it? Especially with the grand final slated for the Gabba. Have you seen some of the crowds that are going to these games? And I don't blame them. Why would you go and watch these games of football unless you're a passionate supporter of one of the teams? Football is not taking advantage of this rare opportunity to make an incursion into non-AFL traditional territory by playing these terrible teams that's not playing well. It's a I, pity, isn't it? I don't think there's much doubt this has been, uh, with the honourable exception of, of the last game, which we'll get to, I think this has been the worst round of a season in terms of spectacle. It's just there's been some dire stuff, you know. Um, yeah, that's saying something. It really is. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a worry. And it's interesting, isn't it, that we haven't actually had much of a ongoing discussion this year about the state of the game, whereas two years ago, that was all we were talking about in what, by comparison, was probably a much better season than this one. I guess the mere fact that we've got a season, people are sort of at least thankful for that. But if yeah. you were looking at the season without that backdrop, um we'd be going, we'd be having that debate because, yeah, no, there's been some absolute stinkers. And, uh, and in fact, even one of the other games, which we're about to get to, provides an interesting study in that too, because I think it was a good example of how uh, the coaches and the over-caution of um, a lot of coaching these days is partly to blame. But anyway, the bottom line, a... Uh, win to Port Adelaide, which keeps them on top of the ladder where they've been the entire season, whilst seemingly no one gives them a chance of winning the flag, which is pretty weird. But um, who knows? Who knows what might, might uh, transpire? Their best is pretty damn good, I reckon. All right, that is Saturday. Three games on Sunday. Let's talk about them now. Uh, 1.05pm on Sunday was the first of a trifecta of games. It featured St Kilda and Hawthorne at Metricon Stadium and it finished in a 14-point win to the Saints, 11 goals, 14-80. Defeating the Hawks, a lot more competitive this week at least, 9 goals, 12-66. Two goals to Marshall, Two to Loney, singles to Steele, Butler, Jones, Billings, Battle, Ryder and Abbott. And for the Hawks, two to Bruce and singles to Lewis, Gunston, Moore, O'Brien, Hardwick, Scully and Mitchell. Now, in the last uh, review, finally, I mentioned coaches being responsible for the sort of footy we're seeing played. I'd like to hold this game up as an example of that because the first quarter was great to watch. It was five goals to four. Uh, after the nine goals kicked in the first quarter, after that we saw 11 goals kicked for the next three quarters. Clearly both coaches going crazy eight bonkers at their players for not being strong enough defensively. Ball movement becoming a lot more cautious and pedestrian as a result. And the game turning, unfortunately, into a bit of a yawn fest. Am I being too harsh? No, no, that would be the impartial's view. But I can tell you, as a supporter of one of the teams, the favoured team in that game, 
uh, letting Hawthorne kick five goals in the first quarter was absolutely criminal. And the ease with which they kicked them. So there was no doubt that Brett Ratton had to attend to the defensive side of St Kilda's game and the setup. Uh, the players obviously overcorrected because they did not want to give up the ball. They decided, you know what, if we're holding the ball, if we're passing it around, the other team can't score. Yeah, but either can your team if you're not kicking it towards your own goal. So you had a horrible quarter of football the second quarter, no question about it. Um, St Kilda had the players and maybe the wherewithal to win the game. But I'll tell you what, had Luke Bruce not been so wasteful in the first half and had Hawthorne taken some pretty good chances, including a rapid-fire three behinds in the last quarter, the last of which a good kick by Wingard that hit the post. Had they converted two of those or one of those, you know, this is not would have ended in tears for St Kilda. It would have been the end of their finals campaign. And when you haven't played for a decade, you need to make the best of your opportunities. It, they, you know, I was a bit hard on Brisbane against Collingwood, but I feel in the last three games, Brisbane has shown the four points to the opposition. They've won those games. Well, St Kilda did this. this they were not in control of this game, Rowan. They showed the four points to Hawthorne, who just weren't quite good enough to take it. Let's be honest, that magnificent mark in the last quarter by um, Mitchell Lewis, Lewis Mitchell, and he needed to be both men because he climbed over to Ruckman to take that mark. Um, if he could have converted that, what a difference that would have made. So, no, mm. St Gilda did not play well and St Gilda got the rub of the green from the umpires and the umpires have stopped paying, paying holding the ball, which is ruining the spectacle of the game, to the point where Liam Shields said uh-huh. something to the umpires today. It, was, it wasn't as though he, he was saying, give me the free or that was a free to me. He just said to the umpire, pay holding the ball, like as a general thing for both teams. Yeah, well, I I did hear that exchange, actually. It was very interesting. And my immediate thought was uh, he's just uh, cutting out the middleman so Clarko doesn't have to have a whinge about it at the press conference, as he did earlier in the season, and after which they began to pay holding the ball. So, Yeah, but uh, he should mention it I should mention that St Kilda had a great imbalance between good players and bad players because they had five or six who played well. Rowan Marshall, Paddy Ryder. I don't know why you need Ryan Abbott if you've got those two playing, by the way. Um, well, Marshall, well, Marshall was basically a forward, wasn't he, in the absence oh, of the King and Membry? the panicked, needed to win, and he rucked. Do you see what they did? They lost their nerve with their forward set up with Marshall. He went in the ruck for the half of the last half of the last quarter because he's a good player. Um, ben Long was very good. Jack Steele, very good. Bradley Hill, good. Um, and then you really, it's like looking for shrapnel in your pocket to pay for petrol. You're really scrambling. Hawthorne had some good players. O'Brien played well. I thought he marked the ball beautifully. Um, Gunston's a good player. Just clever. And again, he missed a shot or two, which is uncharacteristic. So I think Hawthorne, um, you know, did what they did. You always say that Hawthorne, you can never write them off. A bit of a humorous ode to Peter Landy. Is it Peter Landy or McKenna? No, McKenna. Yeah, but you know what? They a club of great pride, and they were never going to let what they did against Adelaide be you know, how they're remembered as a football team. They quickly write at that, at least. Yeah, well, I think, you know, one thing that they will be happy about today was that some of the young guys really showed a bit. You know, like Will Day is probably 
I mean, he's clearly going to win their best first-year player. He's been pretty impressive. But I thought Cousins had some decent moments and, and Greaves had some decent moments too. So it's not like they have no emerging talent. Uh, I think with them, it's more a case of how quickly the top-end talent has uh, dropped off in terms of consistently producing the required form. Uh, very quickly on the Saints, they have West Coast and GWS to come. Bloody tough run home. Uh, one word answer, Finey. Will St Kilda hang on and play finals? Yep. I think they can beat, I think they will beat GWS um, because they've proven this year that they can take advantage of weak ruck setups with their good ruck setup. It's how they have won some games. I think that will play well for them. We should also mention Hawthorne lose another very good player for the rest of the season. Warple got a, a pretty heavy injury. He did too. AC joined, I think it was. Uh, it remiss of me not to mention that, as a matter of fact. So, uh, yeah, bad luck for him. He's been pretty good for them, again, most of this year uh, and will be a very good long-term prospect for them. No question about that. All right, the first game of Sunday, done and dusted. Let's move on to the second. All right, second game on Sunday. Uh, well, supposedly a football game, but more of a training run, really, uh, in which Geelong took on the Witches' Hats, formerly known as the Essendon Football Club. The final score, 17-6-106. The Cats uh, defeating Essendon 5-12-42. Game effectively over at quarter time, by which time the Cats had slammed on six. And if it wasn't over then, it was certainly over by halftime. In fact, Geelong at halftime had the biggest halftime score and biggest halftime margin in any game this season. 12 goals, three to Essendon's poultry, two, four. Was it that bad? Well, from an Essendon perspective, yes, it was terrible. It was actually worse than the first half against Hawthorne two games ago. They were flat as a you-know-what's hat. Um, got to the ground with only an hour to spare. I think some delay in their uh, arrival at the ground, which may or may not have been uh, preventable. Well, that first half shouldn't really have been a laughing matter for the Bombers, but, uh, well, appearances can be deceptive because as they were about to uh, get into position for the third term, uh, we saw quite a surprising shot, I've got to say, the Essendon team huddled together, all having a jolly good belly laugh about a quip Someone had made it look like uh, skipper Dyson Heppel, uh, which made me think instinctively, well, we've seen Richmond do it. How many different things are they going to imitate Richmond in? The difference being that uh, Richmond has been doing that sort of stuff whilst they've been winning. I don't know how good a look it is when you're 10 goals down have played the worst half of footy of your season and need to look like you actually uh, mean business in recovering some lost pride. I thought it was a bloody awful look. I'm not one who uh, generally jumps on those sort of things. I think uh, people can get carried away with those symbolic uh, sort of moments, but it was just absolutely the wrong time to do it. And just to me showed a, a remarkable tone deafness because uh, I was on social media. I can tell you how pissed off Essendon supporters were at that moment. That was about the last thing they needed to say. Yes, it might've been dispelling some tension. Maybe I am overreacting, but I thought this is one case where uh, the symbolism was important and that just sent absolutely the wrong message. But that wouldn't be the first time lately that's happened. Poor look, learn from it. 
And just to make an already grim day even worse, uh, terrible injury news for the Bombers, the very promising Irving Mosquito going down uh, with out uh, a collision, which is always a bad sign. Hasn't been confirmed yet, but looking very much like an ACL injury, which would mean a year on the sidelines and uh, one of the rare bright lights out of what is turning into a miserable year. So uh, really couldn't get a lot worse than it did today for the Essendon Football Club. But uh, I've got to say, as an Essendon supporter, I thought the lack of intensity, the lack of effort was really, really galling with so much on the line. Um, they were absolutely negligent defensively. Geelong strolled out of the middle time and time again. The Essendon midfielders just refused to apply any pressure. Uh, Tom Hawkins had Michael Hurley beaten to a pulp very early in this contest. Michael Hurley, pretty close to the end, I fear. He's completely lost all ability to compete one-on-one with strong key forwards. And if it wasn't Hawkins, it was the likes of Myers, Buse, Blitzarves, Dangerfield, or Menegola, all of whom kicked two. Uh, Myers, in fact, kicked three, Hawkins four. Uh, I won't even bother with the Essendon goal kickers because they were all singles, and there was only five of them, which is becoming par for the course. Now, I thought this was a pretty bloody insipid effort from Essendon and uh, certainly removed any pretense to them ever having had finals claims. And to be perfectly frank, This season has been an absolute car crash. They've won six games. Five of those six wins have come against the bottom five sides on the ladder. And none of their six wins have been by any more than 16 points. That's about as ordinary winning form as you can get. And of course, they've now lost far more than they have won. They are in enormous trouble. They've topped up with players who uh, don't have enough around them to get anywhere close to even a top four spot, let alone a flag, they are going to have to start to rebuild from the bottom up. Yes, I've talked about this before. Why am I saying it again? Because I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think Essendon has a club, has the wherewithal or the guts to admit that they have overjudged this list big time and need to start again. That will be to their cost, trust me, because it will sentence them to yet more years of mediocrity in a stint of mediocrity, which has now been going to decades. That's not good enough. They're not good enough. Finey, you talk about the Cats. Okay, just uh, I want to talk about an umpiring decision that I know I, I get obsessed with these things, but you know, in cricket, if you're umpiring cricket, if the ball picks us outside leg stump, you don't have to umpire that ball. It doesn't matter if it hits the pads, you don't play a shot, it's going to hit the stumps. The rules say, if the ball picks us outside leg, you cannot be out LBW, correct? Yeah. Okay. If a player chooses to take advantage when his teammate gets a free kick and that player gets tackled and drops the ball, the umpire can't say, play on, no prior opportunity. Debut's second goal came as a result of Luke Dalhouse taking a play on from a free kick. He completely dropped the ball And the umpire said, no prior, play on. And that actually doesn't make any sense. That's wrong, isn't it? Uh, I would have thought so. I must say I don't remember it, but I I may have. Grind Myers picked up the crumb, handballed abuse, and he kicked that skidding goal just before halftime. It was, I'm sure by then you were in a state of apoplexy anyhow. But um, it just, I, I just don't like illogical umpiring. Didn't matter. 
as for the game, well, you know, it was interesting. During the game, the commentators kept saying, well, commentators, you know, Bruce, the um, the fountain of effusive, over-the-top praise, um, uh, he just kept pointing out, Selwood's got to come back. How about little Gary Ablett? He's back in the team. Stanley, I'm pretty sure Reece Stanley comes back in. And I kept mentioning it. Have they written off Jack Stephen? Is he not going to be? Is he not in their best 22? Yeah, well, I think he is. I think so. Um, but it's going to be interesting. Who do you drop? That team is bristling with confidence. It is multi-pronged up forward in that Hawkins is a true key forward. Oh, Gary Rowan got a bit of a hammy injury to it looked like a bit of a ha- what was going on with him? On was it a hammy or were they rubbing his buttocks? Or well, he came back on and went for almost immediately went for a sprint along the wing. So I can't think it was too bad. Yeah, um, just so I guess they're a bit careful with that part of his body. But he's a great forward for them. Dalhouse hasn't he returned in fine form? Beautiful hands, playing really well. Um, you can see why they play close. He might be. Yeah, he's the obvious one to miss for Ablett, isn't he? Uh, yes, which would be tough because I think he's had his moments. Yeah, he's speedy, got quick hands, applies a lot of pressure, a lot of forward line pressure. Um, yeah, that's a decision for the coach to make. Their back line stands tall, Henderson. Um, I forgot, he, he was actually delisted, wasn't he? He's, is he only a rookie? But he's done well since he's come into the team. Taylor's worthy. Blitzarv's excellent. We know Stewart's a champion. O'Connor and Henry, quiet but achieving. And Buse and Colin Jasmine. So it feels like they've got nine defenders. And it feels like they've got 12 midfielders. And it feels like they've got 15 forwards. That's how well they're playing. Men of goal are brilliant. Um, maybe, well, Zach Guthrie probably doesn't stay in the team, but that's okay. Uh, as for your um, Essendon, you worried about my Zach Guthrie comment? No, he couldn't make that team, could he? No, 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 I was just, um, I sort of, I don't know, I was just doing something silly with my eyes. No, I was actually going to say that um, I think I've still got Richmond as my premiership winner, but I think Geelong at the moment deserves to be flag favourite, and they are second behind Richmond in this most recent betting I'm looking at. I think Geelong at the moment is playing the best footy of anyone, clearly. Yeah, it just, is it? Is it a point of interest? Now, I know out of respect, every football commentator is going to absolutely um, sort of uh, hail, you know, knock me down and, and say what I'm saying is about to say is rubbish. They're going to, I'm going to go down in a hail of bullets for this, Rowan. They are clearly playing their best football of the year without Sirwood and Ablett in that team. Now, that midfield does not need an injection of slowness with Selwood. They get toughness, they get all of that, but it's operating brilliantly, and I don't quite know who who they sacrifice. I'm just saying they are easily playing their best football without their two oldest players. Well, that I think you're saying that isn't something that a lot of people, everyone would necessarily disagree with, because I, I, in fact probably agree with you, but I would also argue that they cannot pick a side for a grand final without both those two names in it. They just couldn't do it because even if their form wasn't up to par, the, I think, consequences to morale and disruption would be too great. 
both can those I, two players must play. Roman, can I say something to that? I, quite a few years ago, did a uh, launch of the VAFA season with Chris Scott. And it was a great night. And he spoke beautifully about his appointment at Geelong. How it was exciting, but a lot of people thought that his great trepidation would be how do you take over from, how do you take the reins of a premiership team coach to such success by Mark Thompson? He said, that didn't worry me at all. He said, you know, I, I had belief in uh, that team continuing on a great legacy and I felt that I could um, take over the reins. He said, what caused me sleepless nights and still causes me sleepless nights, this was about five years into his career, was how do I respectfully retire champions of this football club, which I knew I would have to do as part of the process of moving on from Mark's legacy. And that speaks exactly to what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, it does. And, and look, they might... Uh, every chance, both of them could retire at the end of this season. What I'm saying is there's absolutely zero chance both those guys won't be playing in their yeah. grand final side. And, and, and I've heard the coach himself say that philosophically he would never do that. It, it would ruin the fabric of the club and not be worth the, not be worth the consequences. Couldn't agree more. Um, all right, that is enough on uh, that demolition job. Uh, but uh, the last game of the weekend proved, I thought, by some margin to be the best. Let's revisit that one now. And the last game of the weekend, a critical clash between the Western Bulldogs and West Coast. And it was a thriller and uh, a very gripping game to watch. And it was won by the Bulldogs, who crucially kept themselves in that fight for a top eight spot. In the end, getting home by just two points, six goals, 13. Almost kicked themselves out of it. 49 points to West Coast, 7-5-47. Well, uh, plenty of drama about this game and incident, starting before the siren with the Late withdrawal of West Coast Colossus Nick Natanui, remembering uh, Luke Shuey already missing for the Eagles. So uh, you'd almost argue probably they're two most important players. That didn't help. Certainly didn't hurt them at the start because they slammed on the first four goals of this game, keeping the Bulldogs scoreless in the first quarter. Scoreboard didn't necessarily reflect the uh, trend of play, though, because the Bulldogs were up and about. They just kept turning it over uh, at unfortunate times and places and West Coast rebounding off that very effectively. Bulldogs came bouncing back, though, with uh, three goals, five to just one behind in the second term. So dead level at half time, uh, one goal each in the third term and then a titanic struggle in that last quarter and uh, thrilling final few moments. Um, uh, Rourke Smith got a goal for the Doggies to give them the lead with six and a half minutes left. Aaron Norton missed a shot to extend that. They were dominating the tie to play in that last quarter. Uh, Richard Cole um, scored for the Eagles to regain the lead for them with just over four minutes left. But a real captain's effort from Marcus Bontempelli. Fantastic kick from outside 
50 metres, gave the Doggies the lead for the last time in this game. Just over three minutes left on the clock then. Eagles still had a chance to win. Jack Darling got a free kick from a ruck contest with just on a minute left, missed the shot. And then Tim English, who'd actually conceded that free kick, took probably the game-saving mark from the result and kick in out on the wing. And the Doggies held on. The goal kickers, two goals to Wallace, singles to Lloyd, Dunkley, Smith and Bontempelli. For the Eagles, two to Waterman, two to Kennedy, singles to Ryan, Sheed and Cole. Crucial for the Doggies, as I said, for the Eagles, well, probably critical loss for them. They remain fifth on the ladder. Uh, they've got St Kilda and North Melbourne to come. Uh, so you'd back them in definitely for one win, perhaps not two though. And the Bulldogs have got Hawthorne and Freo, as you observed earlier, Finey, should win both of them. But uh, this may be the win that sees the Bulldogs make the finals. How'd you see this going? Oh, gee, it was an exciting game. Totally imbalanced number of entries inside 50. Wasn't it amazing, Rowan? The Bulldogs pounding the ball inside 50, but not able to capitalise on the scoreboard. Uh, there were some missed shots at goal, but generally too many air balls that Barras and McGovern were able to quell. And, gee, it, for a while there, it looked like the Bulldogs were going to rue their lack of lowering the eyes going inside 50 because they had so much of the game. But Bontempelli stepped up. I've got to ask you, though, what did you make of that goal line decision from the arc? Uh, for Bontempelli's goal, I, I thought it was the right decision. I, I thought, actually, hang on, I'll correct that. The first side on shot, I thought it was the right decision. The second one, I thought, gee, it does look like some part of the ball was still on the goal line there, but the, the key was they said insufficient evidence. What do you think? Well, the, the shot that we were seeing, it looked like part of the ball was missing. I know the shape of a football. <laughs> All of a sudden, the goalpost had black outlines. That was not a realistic... That You know, the camera does not always portray, portray reality. And there are illusions and there are shadows and... Gee, I think they had to go with umpire's call. You're right. But a game of millimetres. And, well, Darling's kicking was terrible. How about just before three-quarter time? He, he mistimed his run-up for a shot of goal and just slammed it into the man on the mark. That was... And then he, he sort of mis, mistook his steps in the run-up for that last shot of goal as well. So they had their opportunities. And for the Bulldogs... Mitch Wallace again proved valuable, didn't he? In a low-scoring game, he's a heck of an asset to have up forward. A real, you know, a real win there. I love Bailey Smith's the way the way he attacks the game. East Melbourne's um, finest mullet. Uh, did you see? Well, my daughter's on, you know, connected to him on some. My youngest on some form of social media. He tied his ponytail back, took a side-on picture of himself, and. Instagrammed out, new look, what do you think? To a howl of disappointed, adoring fans. What have you done to your mullet? But he'd only tied it up in a bun. I did so, see that. So at least the mullet lives on. English was, as you say, important in the finish. And, well, I guess um, 
I guess the headline has to read like this, Rowan. Nick Nat resting tack gave the dogs a bone. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. Um, actually, just while we're talking about the Eagles too, uh, Mark Hutchings uh, in for only, I think, his third game of the season. He's done a hammy, so uh, potentially costly loss for them as well. You're right about the inside 50s. The Bulldogs would have been filthy if they'd lost this. 27 inside 50s was all they allowed the Eagles. They had 45 and still just got over the line. So I guess in some respects, the Eagles might say, um, well, you know, we we did all right to nearly pinch it, but uh, just couldn't get over the line and not getting that top four chance. Well, there's still a chance to get it. I shouldn't say not getting the chance, but uh, I think their premiership chances diminish uh, more than a little a bit with that defeat. Yeah, they do. Isn't Liam Ryan a special player? In a, in a period of football that just, they see so much conservative down the line kicking and misuse of the ball, he backs himself to avoid trouble. And that kick that he sent it to Tom Cole was a beautiful piece of football. It was. So, you know, they've certainly got the firepower if it all comes together. I'm concerned about, not concerned, I shouldn't say concerned. Uh, I guess West Coast will be a little disappointed overall with the output of Tim Kelly this year. Uh, yeah, look, he certainly hasn't had the season he had last year. Not much doubt about that. So I start to think that maybe he benefited from the from the hard work of a Selwood, of a Dangerfield. You know, maybe the path was made clear for him by those players because he, he seems a different sort of player to me I must say I don't want to be too hard on the player but that is a reality and did you not hear the ghost of Jackie Gleason in that last quarter uh, in what way when Norton took that great mark and missed the goal Norton oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, alright uh, anything else you want to add on that one I think I think the doggies are, would be a worthwhile finalist. I think they'll make it. Uh, that that they will they will be noted by all other seven teams in the finals as a wild card proposition. I I agree. Uh, it depends on whether they can get that run and gun game going because I think that is a significant threat to just about every other side in the comp. It's uh, whether it it can stand up against every other side in the comp. Um, but no doubt, once they get that going, they are very, very hard to stop. Rowan, to that end, Joe Henderson, now that he doesn't run and bounce, isn't much of a backman. Um, yeah, well, I, I guess perhaps you could argue they've supplanted him a little bit. I mean, Caleb Daniel does that role pretty well. Um, yeah. Distributes and, by foot nicely, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. All right, uh, important win to the Bulldogs. Uh, that is four days of footy signed off on. But wait, there is more because round 16 still has a litany of games left and we're going to preview them right now. Footyology previews with Punch. Well, plenty more round 16 action. Four games remaining in the round to be played over the next three days. The first of them, Monday evening. This show never stops, 7.10pm, up in Kansas, Kazali Stadium. It is Melbourne taking on Fremantle. Of course, the Demons 
having lowered their colours at the same venue to the Swans last Thursday. Are they going to turn it around for any? Yeah, I think they can. I think they can. Oh, oh, you know, it's so hard to tip Melbourne, though. They've made all these changes, seven changes. And to be honest, Hogan and Tabena prove a dangerous forward duo. If, if Walters could somehow have an impact on a game of football and Fife even not as, as powerful as he has been, Fremantle could win this game. I just think Melbourne's midfield might be able to hold out uh, the Fremantle Dockers and get enough ball to win the game. Um, look, Max Gord needs to stand really tall in this game, doesn't he? He's got the opportunity against the Fremantle Ruck division. I'd like to see him take the game by the scruff of the neck. I think they can win. I'll tip them. I think Frio maybe have, in their second hub life, have probably had enough. Uh, yeah, I agree with that, and uh, same same reasoning. And I look, as you know, I've, I've talked them up all season. They've been incredibly competitive uh, to an extent that belies their win loss tally, but a bit less so in the last couple of weeks. I think thirty eight point loss to the Giants, twenty seven point loss uh, to Richmond, which was you know a long twenty seven points. And I think they're just winding down a bit psychologically. Melbourne, as we know, you know, capable of looking great one minute and terrible the next. But uh, they also tend to sort of have a Barry Crocker and then rebound pretty strongly. So I'm sort of relying on that as much as anything. Plus, of course, the necessity to continue to win to have any sort of show of making the finals. So uh, I don't... Uh, didn't appear to adapt to the venue overly well against the Swans. Uh, but Freo doesn't tend to be an overly attacking side. Uh, boy, I wonder if Dockers supporters are getting a bit tired of that. I've, I've, we heard a lot off-season about the brand-new positive attacking game style they were going to have. Well, seems to have uh, decreased by the week. Uh, they're pretty uh, dour sort of um, side to watch lately, I would have thought. So that might actually suit Melbourne a bit. Uh, not as much uh, run and carry by the opponent. Give Max Gorn a chance to do a bit more with his work. Uh, their midfield was probably a, a bit of a saving grace against the Swans. I thought the likes of Brayshaw stood up reasonably well. Uh, I think the stakes are too important. They're more important for them than they are for Fremantle. I'm counting on that to get them the win. There is one little X factor in this game, Rowan. What is it? the surprisingly good form of Reese Conker in taking on some of the biggest names in recent weeks as a run-with type tagger. Um, yeah, he, he got under Dustin Martin's skin. He's um, had some good results. I think he might have spent time on um, Crips. Uh, but he might go with Petrarca and cause him some troubles up forward. But still, I think Melbourne win. All right, uh, that is the Monday evening game. We have a double header on Tuesday, and the first of those two games kicks off at 5.10 local time, 5.40 Eastern Standard Time at Adelaide Oval. It is between the, uh, the uh, newly buoyant Crows having won their first game of the season 
over Hawthorne last week, taking on GWS. Um, what what do you think happens here, Finey? I don't think they go back to back. Um, GWS are, as I said, as we know, no mystery here, capable of wild fluctuations in form and results. But at least they've been able to right the ship after the loss to the Swans and win games that they should win without playing four great quarters of football to do so. And you don't need four great quarters against Adelaide. I think GWS will have a rich enough vein of form during this game to win. That being said, they'll be up and about Adelaide. Don't worry about that. Don't let them get, don't let the crowd get involved and do not let Adelaide feel good about themselves. Careful GWS. Yeah, I I agree. I I wrote a piece during the week about Adelaide. I think the gloom and doom about them has been terribly overstated. I think they've had moments this season uh, of real promise. I think they've debuted a stack of um, players. They've handed nine players their debut this year. Some of them have played a lot of footy, 10, 10, 11 games. Um, And I think some of them look like keepers. I think a guy like Stengel coming in has made them look a bit more dynamic. I like the look of McAdam. I like the look of uh, Himmelberg up forward. You know, there's long-term promise in all those guys and they're playing at home. So uh, GWS, well, you know, they've, they, they continue to do what they've done most of this season. They'll look okay one week and then ordinary the next. And uh, look, they did get over the line against the Blues, but far from a convincing performance, kicking two goals in three quarters, um, You'd hope that last quarter might have played them back into a bit of form, but that's what I said after they ran West Coast close um, three weeks ago over in Perth. So uh, Josh Kelly, you think, comes back into the equation, so that helps. And uh, again, the stakes, obviously, far more important to them. A real opportunity for them in latter terms too, with the game in hand over, uh, well, the four teams immediately above them on the ladder, and the Bulldogs below them. So uh, if the Giants win this one, they go up to 36 points, uh, which puts them oh, no, puts them behind St Kilda, but it, it leaves them reasonably ensconced in the eight. So uh, it's a great opportunity for them, and they certainly need to make the most of it, uh, if nothing else, um, picking up a fair slab of percentage uh, by which they're trailing those teams immediately above them. So I'm going for GWS as well, probably reasonably comfortably in the end, I reckon. The second game on Tuesday is at 8.10 at Metricon Stadium. 8.10 on a Tuesday night. That's back to the old uh, midweek night football days out at Waverley, Finey. It is Carlton taking on Sydney at Metricon Stadium. Uh, Talked about the Blues. They've shown plenty of promise this year without necessarily getting the wins. Not much was expected of the Swans, but they've ended up, I think, having plenty of positives out of this year as well. Uh, who's going to win this one? I'll tip the Swans in this. I I think they really enjoyed that win over Melbourne. And of all the teams that are in that bottom third of the ladder, they're the ones that would like the season to keep on going. You know, you just get a sense, maybe Adelaide as well in a way, but you get a sense Hawthorne, North Melbourne, I fear Essendon might end up there, uh, are looking, you know, 
to 2021. They, they, they've had enough of this year. It's been trying, of course, for a number of reasons. Not Sydney. They're loving it. And I think they're really enjoying the mix of seniors with Kennedy back in the team and Parker and, and a few of those senior guys. Um, and by the way, when early on when I mentioned all the players that are out, not to mention Rampy is criminal. What a mm. loss he's been. But they're really enjoying playing with the kids, aren't they? And we talk now about McInerney, but there are others. Um, it, it's sort of a, an enjoyable mix. They're enjoying their football. And I think Carlton are just looking a little bit tired. Yeah, well, stringing quarters together has been the Blues issue, hasn't it? I mean, they were really good for three quarters against GWS, or certainly competitive. But um, it again, you know, that failure to sort of see out the game was costly for them. Um, that said, I mean, you know, they'll be, I reckon they'll be pretty clued in to what the Swans can potentially do, particularly with that uh, newfound capacity to run and gun a lot more than we've become used to with Sydney sides. So from that perspective, it's pretty interesting. Uh, Sydney's midfield, you know, sort of back humming along pretty nicely. I think what might end up playing the decisive role is probably those taller Carlton forwards. Um, haven't been great in recent weeks, but uh, both Casbolt and Mackay capable of, uh, I think, extending the Swans for height in that defensive structure. So I'm counting on that. I am going for them to win this game narrowly, probably in the order of about three goals, I think. That is the second of the two Tuesday games, which leaves one game in round 16 to be played. Uh, two sides having the bye, of course. And the final game of round 16 is the... Uh, I always forget what this one's... What's the... Oh, the Q clash. That's right. The Q clash between Brisbane and Gold Coast. It is at the Gabba Finey at 7.10pm. Which of these great traditional rivals in the Sunshine State is going to prevail? Uh, Brisbane now... Uh obviously playing in a, for a far different end of season, far different motivation than Gold Coast. Gold Coast are playing for pride and they're showing a bit of that, no question. And that is not going to be enough to get over the line against Brisbane. What Brisbane need to do is turn the corner and get some more goals on the board and have a bit of a kill. They really need it. It doesn't matter. Uh, and they shouldn't think of that, by the way. They should treat Gold Coast with full respect because they're a team of goers, Gold Coast. So they've got to win first, but they need to get some free scoring going if they can get on top. I think they will get on top and a good opportunity for them to recalibrate. Yeah, well, it, it comes down to motivation, doesn't it? And they've got heaps more of it than the Gold Coast at this stage. I mean, imagine Gold Coast to get some sort of satisfaction from throwing a spanner in Brisbane's works. Uh, for Brisbane, yeah, it's all about getting getting things ticking over again. I mean, it was 6-6. Uh, you know, six, six. They've, they've been held to some pretty low scores of late. Six, in fact, the last three weeks, seven goals, six goals, six goals. The only sort of uh, positive out of that winning scoreline against Collingwood, apart from the win, was the fact it was the first time they hadn't kicked more points than goals for a month. 
So uh, they need to get things ticking over a bit better. Good chance to do that up against um, that Gold Coast midfield, which is a bit wider on for numbers. Uh, and I guess we also get a look at how they're going to cope without Harris Andrews, which could be interesting given the Gold Coast, if nothing else, have two, uh, you know, reasonably consistently performed key forwards this year in uh, Ben King and Sam Day. So uh, they may have a few matchup issues there and they'll have to uh, work out a way to counter them without Harris Andrews, at least for the next six weeks. Uh, but I think Brisbane wins. They've got a lot more to play for. I think they'll end up winning again, reasonably comfortably. And that, my friends, is round 16 previewed. Uh, boy, we've got ploughed through a lot of games in this edition of the podcast. Finally, quick shout out to our wonderful sponsors, if you will. Andrews Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. You can go there if you live in the 5K radius and you'll be well pleased you do. I There's, there's something... Isn't it great having a sponsor whose product you absolutely have no qualms about? So easy to do the promo. And same for Nick Spartels and West Point Properties. Quality, back-to-back -back with quality. We have no qualms about any of their products. We can vouch for them. In fact, anytime Fanny and I have a burger, you know it's Andrews. Anytime we get one of our mini properties renovated, you know it is West Point Properties. And yes, I am taking the piss there because uh, we've got one each last time I checked and unlikely to add to that hardly burgeoning portfolio. Uh, that's it for this episode. Uh, I hope your team had a good win. Check out the Footyology website, everyone. Some great stuff coming up on there. Uh, in fact, on Mondays, we've got Shane Hope wrapping up all the weekend's footy. Got Martin Flanagan coming up with a great piece this week. I've had a look at it. That's a beauty. Shelley Ware weighing in again, Francis Leach on music, uh, a whole cavalcade of good writers there for your reading pleasure. And please support us if you haven't already, either through the ACAST supporter feature right on this podcast platform you're listening to uh, or via our Patreon page. Uh, all donations gratefully accepted and going to a very worthy cause, which is, of course, keeping footyology ticking over. But we are very grateful for your support and will remain so. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you very shortly.